Coming up on the show, we get you set for the NBA All-Star Game in Indianapolis. NASCAR President Steve Phelps and Fox analyst Clint Boyer join the pod as they shift into high gear for the Daytona 500. And we put a bow on the Super Bowl and the record-breaking audience numbers. Mahomes flings it. It's there! Hartman! Jackpot! Kansas City! Welcome into the pod, and happy Valentine's Day to all that celebrate. And remember, on this show, we always show the love to the best and brightest in sports media. Let's welcome in our basketball writer, Tom Friend, to our Who's Up and Who's Down. Who's up? Who's down? Tom, my who's up, it's an easy one. It's CBS. It's Sean McManus. An incredible Super Bowl number. The most watched telecast of any kind. Program, whatever you want to call it, since the moon landing back in the late 60s. An incredible number, obviously helped by out-of-home viewing and streaming, but 123.7 million viewers Easily a Super Bowl record that passes last year's 115.1 on Fox. Obviously, that also includes the Spanish language number. But on its own, CBS was able to draw 120.3 million viewers. So pretty impressive just for CBS there for their telecast. But everything, you know, seemed to go off pretty well. The halftime show was well-received. The pregame routines were well-received. And in terms of a final Super Bowl for Sean McManus at the head of CBS Sports, a really strong way to go out. That's my up. Tom, who do you have for your down? Well, my down's related to that game as well. Obviously, that game finished great, started pretty poorly. It wasn't a great game uh, aesthetically for a lot of people. But my down is really Tony Romo. Um, It's just clear watching that game and watching the NFL season that he's fallen below Greg Olson. He's fallen below down in the bottom of the lead analyst of the big network, the big eight teams. I mean, right now I would put Aikman, uh, Collinsworth, and Olson above him. I think Tony seemed nervous to me. You know, his reputation as a player was in the big moments he kind of caved in. And it looked like he caved in a little bit in this game. Obviously, people talked about him talking over the last call about Nance at the end of that game. But, uh, there just isn't the energy, there isn't the passion that it was early on with him. It just seems like he's kind of like just a little bit deer in the headlights. I don't know. That's my perception and my reason why I have him as my down. And I would think that CBS, if they could, would make a trade for Olsen. If you ask me, that's what they should do. But uh, that's they're locked in with him and they're going to have to make this work. Tom, you also have him below Kirk Herbstreet and what he does on Thursday Night Football? Well, I'd have him uh, ahead of Herb, Herb Street. I think with Kurt, it's he's so oversaturated with everything. He's got things going on. And I even talked to him earlier this year, and he felt like he had to kind of get used to that, used to Al, used to going out to dinner with Al and all these other things. So I, I would say Romo's above him. But Tony, I don't there's something going on there. There just isn't the passion that it felt early like it felt early on. And uh, that needs to get solved. You know, my down is going to be the Boston Red Sox and why they have this new Netflix series that's going to be following the team during the course of the season. And, you know, this might be a good thing for me being an Orioles fan, but the Red Sox have now finished last in the AL East in three of the last four seasons. And there seems to be a lot of apathy and fan angst in the New England market. And I'm just not sure why Red Sox brass and fans would want the club to be part of a, you know, the subject of a documentary series this season. There just isn't a, there aren't a whole lot of marketable players. The team has a manager in a contract year. And it actually could have the potential to backfire on the team. So that's my down. Tom, who do you have for your up this week? 
Well, my up is J.J. Reddick, and which is kind of surprising because J.J. Reddick as a player at Duke was really, really reviled by a lot of people. Not a very popular guy, but he's become a really, really strong broadcaster. Now with Doc Rivers going to back to coach with the Bucs, uh, J.J.'s been elevated to do the NBA Finals as, their, as part of their number one team. I think he's very, very good. He's opinionated. He's He knows the game. Um, I just think that ESPN also left themselves a little vulnerable with their move to get rid of, you know, uh, Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. I, I just, you know, not having Doc Rivers locked in for sure with the option of coaching left them in this situation. But J.J. Redick is a great call on their end to get him back up at that lead spot. He, he's going to do really, really well. He's made for this. Uh, it's amazing how his turnaround as a guy that was sort of the guy you ate is now a guy you love. You know, I've absolutely loved the studio work that he's done. I like the games that he's called. So he was already a rising star. I love the podcast that he does on the side as well. Like you said, he he was eventually destined for this sort of role. Just probably happened a little sooner. Like my Breen said, they thanked Doc Rivers for his weeks of service. I thought that was a <laughs> you know very funny way to go out there. And you know, honestly, I interviewed JJ when he was at Duke, and he was uh, very opinionated. Most Duke guys kind of toe the line. They don't really want to, you know rile things up, you know, maybe Batty did a little bit, but but Reddick was very outspoken, and uh, he's carried over to his career a very, very good job. You know, let's stick with the NBA, Tom. You're headed to the All-Star Game this week in Indianapolis. First time it's been in the Hoosier State since 1985. Been a while. They were awarded this game in 2017, but with the pandemic, it got pushed back, gave them a lot of time to plan. So we, we expect everything to be going off without a hitch with, with that sort of planning process. But let's stick on the media side here. A lot of NBA teams this season, because of the RSN troubles, we've well, they're well noted at this point. What sort of experimentation has been successful for some of the teams out there? Well, the teams that have the, the deal with Bally Sports, the Diamond Group, obviously they're in bankruptcy proceedings, and that's kind of Amazon sort of rescuing them at this point. But the NBA has, gets back the rights to all those teams after this coming season. So they've given each team the, the ability to get – 10 games do over the air, free over the air, linear television, and teams, the Mavericks, the Hawks, the Pelicans, and now the Cavaliers, the Bucks, the Spurs are all teams now that have made local deals with, you know, in their in their markets to show over the air. It's like going back to the past. I mean, we're talking local air, you know, you could just watch your game for free. And it, they're doing this as sort of a trial to see what's going to happen next year because next year all the rights go back to the league. And these teams can go and negotiate full-time, full-season deals the way the Jazz did, the way the Suns did, where they can show all their games free over the air. Not all the Bally's teams are going to do this, though. I know there's one team, Minnesota, that I'm pretty clear that they are they are very happy with their Bally's deal. And after this season, they can go back and negotiate maybe a one-year deal with Bally's to continue to do their games. The downside of going to free TV is you got to make up the revenue that you lose from losing your di- your balance deal. I mean, there's these fees they're paid. They're not going to get those anymore. And can you make up the difference with the amount of reach you have in your market now with free TV where you get advertising? Will you be able to make up that difference? And that's what these teams are going to experiment with and find out. But as of now, day by day, more teams, especially the balance teams, are giving 10 games to the local market where you can watch the game free over the air. It's, it's an intriguing thing that's going on with the media in the NBA. 
you know, speaking of experimentation, but on the national level, obviously earlier in the year we had the first in-season tournament that seemed to be successful for the games that you know TNT and ESPN were able to air, especially compared to what may have been airing in those windows in prior seasons. I also kind of like how ESPN ABC experimented on Wednesday nights during January. They instead of having an ESPN ESPN doubleheader, that first window generally went to ABC. And I don't think it was very surprising that the ABC numbers were higher than you know what ESPN was drawing in that same window last year. But I like that they're kind of testing, you know, how they can draw better numbers, how could they can you know get a broader audience. What other sorts of things is the NBA doing from a media perspective that has interested you nationally? Well, obviously the media rights deal is the elephant in the room. Um, as we get into the All Star game, there's going to be a lot of discussions in Indianapolis as these continue to ESPN, Disney, and Turner begin have their negotiating period with the NBA. Right now, you know, one of the questions is what's going to happen with Amazon? Amazon obviously has made the deal with Bally's or is trying to make this deal with Bally's with a diamond where they would take over some of these local broadcasts. And what does that mean going forward when they make the media deal? Will will Amazon have local broadcasts where they do you know how how Apple does MLS. I mean, it's going to be similar. Will Amazon do the same thing? That's up in the air. I think right now we don't know who's going to jump into this. Obviously, NBC. There's talk that NBC wants to get involved in the NBA in the future. That media rights. There's talk that maybe some people have thought maybe Fox might enter their name in the hat to try to get involved in this uh, against NBC. So right now you're looking at probably three major networks: Disney, Turner maybe NBC, maybe Fox in there, and then you have the Amazon factor. And then there's the whole in-season tournament that you mentioned, Austin. I mean, will someone like Netflix, will a streaming entity come in and just televise just the in-season tournament? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I think in going for the in-season tournament, instead of interspersing games Tuesdays and Fridays like they did last November, you know, every Tuesday and Friday was an in-season tournament game, I think going forward they may just have one month period of the NBA season be in-season tournament and that would make a nice little package for some network or entity to come in and, and acquire those rights so these are things that are all going to start happening here with the nba media rights yeah i know netflix has long said oh we're not interested in live sports rights but they just bought a wwe package and if anybody seriously believes that netflix is not going to be a player in the long term for live sports rights i do have some magic beans i would like to sell you because they're they are the biggest global platform i think they're going to be involved they've shown an interest in sports particularly on the documentary side so i'm very curious like you are to see where netflix comes in potentially with the nba in-season tournament you know another question i had for you tom is looking out at these nba media rights deals five years from now whatever the the term of the next deal is LeBron James probably will not be playing in, at the end of that deal. Steph Curry likely not going to be playing at the end of the, that deal. Who do you see as the marketable players five years from now for the NBA? Who are you going to want to see? Who are fans going to want to see playing on those Christmas Day games? Well, you project out, Austin, five years. Victor Wambanyama there might have had a few more tacos or whatever he's eating down there in San Antonio. He's going to be bigger and stronger. He's gonna he be does more, need to hit the weight room, yeah. Yeah, he's going to be more of a force. He's going to be a guy that people are going to want to see. You're going to be seeing Jokic still dominate. You're going to see uh, Luka Doncic. The, the global reach of the NBA is just going to get bigger in the next five years as more international players come in. And then you have a guy like Cooper Flagg, who's going to be going to Duke next year and who is really the next. 
you know, a guy that's going to be really interesting for a lot of people coming into the NBA, sort of the next thing. I mean, Chef Holmgren's turning into that this year for Oklahoma City. Look what he's impact he's made for that team. So there is a lot of an influx of younger talent globally and then here in the, in the United States. So, uh, you know, Jason Tatum, you know, his chase for a title, can he get there? There's a lot of interest, a lot of players to watch. Tom, any final predictions for All-Star Weekend in Indy? Well, I think the Steph Curry, Sabrina Ionescu uh, three-point shootout, WNBA, NBA shootout, has my biggest interest. I I think Sabrina is going to give him a run for the money. I, I I think she may win. I mean, she made 20 straight shots at, at the WNBA All-Star game last year. I, I think she's going to light it up. I'm going to pick Sabrina to upset Steph in that competition. Well, Tom Friend, we hope you stay warm in Indianapolis. Obviously, a lot of media angles related to the NBA, still the biggest media rights deal out there. Tom Friend, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'd like to welcome in now NASCAR President Steve Phelps. Steve, thanks for joining the podcast. It's my pleasure to be here, my friend. Now, Steve, you were able to get some really massive media rights deals done recently. You know, talk to us about what the landscape was that you saw while negotiating those deals. Yeah, I'll start with this. We are very pleased with the result. Um, uh, you know, we have had two great, we have two great partners now at NBC and Fox, uh, but to add the CW, Warner Brothers Discovery, and Amazon, all promoting the sport, uh, we think is a very positive thing. And I would say the financial picture, despite the fact that the media rights landscape is so challenged, uh, we were pleased. Um, we were very pleased with the overall deal, both from a distribution standpoint, kind of hedging our bet, you know, between cable and streaming, and then obviously still having a significant number of over-the-air windows is a positive thing for us. With respect to the media rights uh, marketplace, I would say since the fall of 22, there was kind of this switch and this change where those that had streaming services, um, whether they're specific streamers like a like an Amazon or, you know, Max, you know, Peacock, et cetera, um, Paramount. There was a a switch from Wall Street that the street decided that they were going to not look at subs anymore. They were going to look at profitability. Um, and so that switch really kind of took the air out of the balloon from a media rights market standpoint. Um, I would say last year was, I, I don't remember a year that was as challenging to the sports media rights landscape, which really was white hot over the last several years before the fall of 22. Um, and I think there was a, listen, at some point you're always going to have a reset, right? A real estate reset, whatever it is, you know, Wall Street reset, um, you know, market. This It was going to happen. So the question is, what was the impetus for it to do that? Or what was the catalyst? And I think it's really this idea of profitability. Um, so I think the market is still, it's still challenged. I think it will continue to be challenged over the next couple of years. With that said, there really is no better place to reach a significant um, live viewing audience as there is in sports. Um, and so if you're a must-have sports like we are, uh, as was shown through our, our deal, um, you know, you, you can weather the storm. Um, you know, if we had been in a frothy market, maybe we'd have had a 15% increase in the in the revenues we'd be able to drive but you know was in the threshold of where we needed to be in order to make sure this industry uh, was continuing to flourish um, and so that's where that's where we were 
Now, two of the partners you're bringing on next year, Amazon and Max, specifically on the streaming side, we've seen what those platforms have been able to do in terms of innovation for fans. You know, for Thursday Night Football, Amazon, you know, involved Dude Perfect in some of their alt telecasts. Should we expect some innovation from NASCAR as you adopt these new streaming partners? That's our expectation, both, you know, for us and for them, is that they'll do exactly that. And those are the promises, frankly, that have been made by both partners. And again, to your point, Amazon has done some really impactful things um, with their NFL broadcasts and integrating AWS and some other, you know, stat features, et cetera. Um, and then whatever platforms they can bring with it. I think Warner Brothers Discovery already has its own platforms that they can bring to bear um, as part of it. Um, you know, Bleacher Report and House of Highlights and other opportunities there. Those are going to happen. I think the cool thing is they're going to happen this year. They're not waiting until you know their partnership kicks in in, in 25. So we're bullish. Um, you know, we are trying to reach. Um, new audiences. And we think streaming will allow us to become younger. Um, and that it's it's really something that each property is trying to do, um, kind of refresh your fan base and, and bring it into a, a new generation. And we do that in all the things that we do, right? It's not just what is going to happen in television, but, you know, what we've done with the Netflix show, or what do we do with, with Roblox, or what we do with you know, other licensees that we have in the marketplace that is going to put us in the consideration set for those to say, huh, I didn't really consider NASCAR to be part of, you know, my thing, but it's through a channel that I like and I respect, I'll give it a run uh, or sports betting or whatever it might be. Um, so we're, we're bullish on where we're going uh, because of the relationships that we have, including these, you know, you know, these new relationships, as well as the relationship with the CW for, for the Xfinity series, you know, 33 races on broadcast television, you know, those ratings from 24 to 25 are going to go up. They're going to. Yeah, uh, a lot of your core markets too, for the CW cut, markets. You know, and that's the great thing about Nexstar is not only is it the CW, which is over the air, um, but 201 affiliates that are going to help us promote NASCAR ticket sales, what's happening in market, that's, that's enormous for us. Um, so we're excited about it. Steve, you mentioned Full Speed, the new documentary, NASCAR documentary, docu-series, I suppose, airing on Netflix. How important was it to get that sort of platform, especially where the drivers can really open up, really be themselves? What has been the reception so far? Well, I think the reception has been tremendous. So the Netflix folks are are thrilled with it. Um our avid fans are thrilled with it. People in the industry are are really happy at kind of how it turned out. Um, but to me, it's, you know, what is it going to do for, to open up, you know, new households and new fans. And I think that's what Netflix has shown, whether it's Drive to Survive or Full Swing um, or Breakpoint. Those things are all opportunities to to create new audiences. And we think this will do this for us. Uh, we are confident that we will have a season two um, you know, because of the success of the show so far. I do think there's something unique about motorsports in particular. Um, it's not that the others are not compelling. I think they are. It's like getting the behind the scenes, getting where the, where you can showcase the personalities of these athletes. Will you get that 
in in full speed, but you also have something that's visually very exciting on the racetrack. The bright colors of the cars and the action and the crashing, and it's just visually exciting. So I think that gives us a slight edge. Listen, it's interesting because we've done other follow docs and docu-series over the past three or four years, but nothing that has the reach of Netflix, right? So they're advertising in, in Times Square and they're advertising in Sunset Boulevard and they're sending emails out to all their customers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's a big deal. Um, it's certainly not the only thing that we have as we're kind of our our tool chest of of things to help grow the sport, but it's an important you talk about season two. I mean, there hasn't been a renewal yet, but if, as you get more drivers who may want to participate, is five episodes enough? I mean, would you want to get maybe more episodes so you can really showcase more drivers? Yeah, I think it feels like eight to 10. You know, that's not our decision. It will be Netflix's decision. Um, you know, Connor Shell and his team did a tremendous job at Words and Pictures. They're super talented. Um, you know, the folks, same folks that did The Last Dance and, and many, many others. Um, it, it's... We would like to see, I guess they call this a shortened season or a mini season or whatever it is. It feels like eight to 10 would be a better thing. And I think our schedule at 38 race weekends can certainly support that. Um, but I think the successes that they had uh, or that we've, we've seen in the show this year, um, like everyone I talk to says, oh, it's unbelievable. I love it. It's fantastic. My wife and I watched it. She's not a fan. Well, she's not before, but she is now. Um, it's great. And it's just, uh, listen, we have, <laughs> we have a lot of personalities in NASCAR. <laughs> um, so it, we wouldn't have a shortage of, you know, it's just not the four or five guys that they, they featured this year. We, we got lots of guys. There's some marquee names that you could bring into the fold in season two, for sure. <laughs> yeah. We have some marquee names that were not included for one reason or another, but I do think as the teams look at this and the drivers look at it, it's an opportunity, obviously, to expose their brands as drivers, but also the race teams and, importantly, sponsors. I mean, you look, you know, whether it's FedEx or, you know, Coke or DoorDash or, um, you know, the different cars that were featured. Um, and, by the way, cars that were, you know, upside down, you know, Ryan Priest's car flipping 12, 14 times. I, listen, I'm not sure that's the branding that they were looking for, but it is it is important branding uh, nonetheless. So yeah, I think it opened up a lot of eyes. I wasn't surprised at the kind of the quality of the show, nor will I be surprised at the, the long-term success of what this franchise is going to be for us and for Netflix. Well, Steve, I want to turn to the Daytona 500 now. It's go time. It's the start of the season. How important is it to come out of the gate with a strong audience number for that race? I think it's a, it, it is important. I'm not going to try to overstate it. But, you know, we've had years where you know, we've had rain delays and, you know, we start off in the whole 20 and then you're just chasing it all year, right? Um, because that's what will happen if you have a rain delay. You're going to be down 20 to 25%. So if we don't have rain, I'm super confident that we're gonna we're gonna start off with a with a with a good number. You know, rain is never our friend, but it's something that we can't control. Um, but listen, I think it's important. I do think following up after the 500 with a great race in Atlanta, uh, which is another kind of super speedway type racing, um, and you know the first 
four or five weeks of our season, the competition just isn't there. And so it is important for us to make, you know, kind of make hay when you can. Um, and that's, that's what I think we will do. So, yeah, we had some, we had some hits on the Fox part of the schedule last year with Chase Elliott being at, out and we had some really difficult comps with some NBA deals, a tiger deal around the 500, um, you know, it makes an impact, right? Our hardcore fans are going to watch, but casual fans that kind of wander into it, if they're wandering to an NBA game with, you know, LeBron and Steph, then they'll probably stay there, right? Yeah, um, those are big draws. They're big draws. And so for us, I, I'm super bullish, certainly on the Fox part of the portion of the schedule, assuming, you know, rain stays away. Um, I believe the Fox portion of the season is going to be up at least, at least mid single digits, probably higher. Nice. That'd be a great way to start the first half of the season. Agreed. So, you know, outside of the race itself, do you have any favorite traditions while you're down there for speed weeks? <laughs> well, so I live here. Um, and so I would say traditions for speed weeks for me is it's kind of like when I worked at the NFL, the worst year of the year was Super Bowl week. And I'll use worst um, in quotes here. It's actually the best week of the year. But it is by far the most challenging week of the year as we're entertaining, you know, 150,000 guests plus industry plus, you know, dignitaries and celebrities and other folks. It's just a it's a heady time for sure. The only ritual that I have, honestly, is I don't drink on on property. So until everyone's gone the night of the 500 and then there there may or may not be a bourbon. Um so that would probably well earned by that point. That would probably be about <laughs> it. Well, last question. We'll get you out of here on this. What is a big NASCAR media story that people need to be paying attention to this season? I think we got short change in Chicago. Um, I think it's going to be in, it was already a really cool event that was super stressful because of the seven inches of rain that we got. But I do think it's going to be, have some significant staying power from a media standpoint from a rating standpoint and then really what it means for the overall health and growth of the sport so we all call it instead of saying we had a massive loss we had a in nice investment that we made into that race but it was important um you know it kind of i think it got the attention of amazon and warner brothers discovery um nbc was obviously thrilled with it, it was a great way to start off that their portion of the season but i think um you know, to me, for 24, it will be important. For 25 and beyond, it really is about the new media partners and additional schedule variation, which is which is going to happen. Um, schedule variation works for us. Um, it works from a ratings perspective. It, it works from an earned media perspective. Um, and so we're going to continue to be aggressive. In fact, we're going to try to ramp it up even further. What that looks like, I don't know. Certainly nothing to... Um, to promote or announce today. For me, I just did the 24 season is going to be important bridge year for us to 25. We have a brand new productions facility, which will have two components to it. One is going to be around live event production, um, which will be important for us. And the other is really just content creation. And we are going to ramp up our efforts significantly in there. So that's another story that I'm watching is what that's going to look like. Um, but Again, I'm really bullish on this year as the calendar clicked to Jan 1, 2024. 
it's unlike a January 1st um, outlook that we've ever had. And part of it, you know, is obviously getting those media rights deals done at the dollars we did, but it's broader than that. It's, you know, the distribution moving forward. It's all the different programs that we have in place um, and we're going to execute against them and spend and spend money doing so. Um, and the last thing I would say, as I take a breath, and we're going to do that while we are bringing industry together. So charter extensions, what we're doing with Speedway Motorsports to collaborate with them more closely. This industry is coming together um, and it will be important that it does. So I'm watching that as well. Well, we're all going to be paying attention to what's going on with NASCAR this season. We wish you the best of luck with all the races going on at Daytona, including the 500. NASCAR President Steve Phelps, thanks for joining the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, my friend. Take care. Joining me now is our motorsports expert, Adam Stern. Adam, th thanks for taking the time to chat. Thank you. You know, a lot was made in the offseason about these big media rights deals that NASCAR signed. They don't go into effect, though, until 2025. But there are a lot of broader implications for these deals. We're talking scheduling. We're talking the charter deals. Talk to us about some of what you are hearing in the landscape. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the media deal was kind of the first big domino that NASCAR needed to set up its new future, its next cycle, however you want to put its new era. And they got that done. It took a little bit longer than expected. And as a result, the talks that the teams are having with NASCAR to set up their next CBA agreement started a little bit later than expected. So that's a situation where they wanted to try and handle it heading into this year, but they haven't gotten it done in time. And now that's going to bleed into the season. And they're still talking about various different things that they're trying to accomplish to, to get an ultimate deal done. And they're talking about ancillary things, but they're still talking about the main thing, which is the amount of money the teams are going to get, how they're going to divide it, et cetera. So the media deal was, was absolutely a huge thing because it was the starting point. NASCAR got roughly a 35 to 40% increase. Teams might've been looking for a little bit more and NASCAR might've been looking for a little bit more, but it was a very tough environment as we know. Uh, you know, traditional media companies dealing with cord cutting, streaming companies, uh, you know, being pushed for profitability. You know, NASCAR's ratings are not as high as they once were when they negotiated their last deal. So they got a 35 to 40 percent increase. And I think in the circumstances that was really good. But if they had gotten a much bigger increase, it would probably be making things a little bit smoother with their teams right now. And as a result, they're still locked in the CBA battle that's going to now go into the season. So that's going to have a huge impact on, on so many different things. You know, they're figuring out everything from, like I said, the money itself to digital media, gambling, everything you could think of, because this is their new governing agreement that'll go from 2025, potentially through 2031 or even longer, depending on how they set that up. They're also talking about trying to get things like permanent charters. So it's a very critical time for NASCAR, even though they got one really big deal done, they still have one really big deal left with, with the teams. And then, like you said, there's other things like schedule, trying to set that up. Um, I think, you know, they've got new partners in like Amazon and Warner Brothers Discovery from 2025 through 2031. They're going to want a big race for their five different race uh, slates. So NASCAR has things like that to, to set up and figure out who they're going to give that to. And, and there's a lot of other stuff going on as well. So definitely a big 2024 for NASCAR. Adam, for some of the uninitiated, what might be some of the bigger races that these media partners might want next season? Well, a great example would be the Coca-Cola 600 and the Chicago Street Race. Uh, those are two races in the middle part of the season. And based off of when NASCAR has set up their new media rights agreements and how that's going to work, uh, Fox is still going to have the early part of the season for their Premier Cup Series. 
and then it's gonna roll into a 10 race stretch between Amazon Prime Video and Warner Brothers Discovery's uh, linear and digital streaming platforms. And so right around that 10 race span between Amazon and Warner Brothers Discovery are a couple really important races such as the Coca-Cola 600, NASCAR's longest race, uh, and one of its most historic kind of one seen as his crown jewels. And then the new Chicago street race that last year that debuted to much acclaim and was NBC's most watched race in six years. Um, so those are two races I would keep an eye on. And I would think that each of those uh, media companies, Prime Video and Warner Brothers Discovery are gonna want a marquee race to hang their hat on and market against. And so I think NASCAR is probably working as we speak. I can almost guarantee it to figure out which of those exact ones will go to those broadcasters. But certainly with each of them getting five each, you know, that's a small part of a 36, 38 race schedule. So they're going to want to pack a big punch and NASCAR is going to have to deliver that for them. You know, something new that NASCAR was able to get done this season was getting that docu-series onto Netflix, full speed, five episodes. It seems like it was incredibly well received, good exposure for the drivers, for the circuit, for sponsors. What is some of the reception that you've seen? To your broader point, of course, we are now in this drive to survive era where Formula One has gotten so much more popular Globally, yes, and particularly in America, after they had their Netflix docuseries, there were certain things specific to that, uh, particularly the global pandemic that forced everyone to sit at home while they watched that show. But nonetheless, the hope is that NASCAR can try and get some of that same rub. And so this is a big deal for them as they continue to try and grow their cool factor, uh, you know, maintain relevancy in the cultural zeitgeist. Uh, of course, Netflix has 260 million subscribers. It's the largest streaming platform. So this is a huge deal for them to finally get something like this on there. They've worked with Netflix before, but it was kind of more like scripted series uh, that wasn't as well received. Or uh, they did an unscripted series just with Bubba Wallace specifically. That was well received, but it was only with one driver. So this was much more in that uh, Netflix drive to survive vein and working with Netflix has uh, been a huge deal for them. So, um, you know, I think after the first week in the US, they finished number nine. Uh, for that week. So that's pretty good. Uh, would they have wanted to be a little bit higher? Sure. But they made the top 10 in the U.S. after their first week. And so, um, you know, they're one of their KPIs, we know, talking to COO Steve O'Donnell, President Steve Phelps, is they want to see a second season. I believe they made the top 10 in about 20 different countries uh, over that first week, at least one day in about 20 different countries, if not more. So it seemed like it was pretty well received. It's done pretty well. Uh, a lot of those were in Europe. There was a couple, uh, South Africa, uh, New Zealand, Australia. So it had a little bit of a global impact as well as they're trying to grow globally. So it seems like overall it's pretty well received. And again, the big KPI will be, does a second season happen? And uh, we know that uh, NASCAR president Steve Phelps is optimistic on that, so we'll see. Well, Adam Stern's going to be on the ground in Daytona, paying attention to all the angles. We appreciate you taking the time to chat. Thanks. Joining me now is former longtime NASCAR Cup Series driver and now in his fourth season as a Fox Sports NASCAR Cup Series analyst, Clint Boyer. Clint, thanks for taking the time to chat. Man, thanks for having me. You know, first, I got to start off. You were in Vegas on Sunday. You're a huge Chiefs fan. Obviously, great win for you guys. You were sitting next to Jeff Gordon there. Talk about that experience in Vegas. Oh, man, that takes me back, speaking of four years, back when uh... – we played the 49ers at, at uh, in Miami. Jeff and I were booth mates for the first time, and boy, he was trash talking. And I probably <laughs> was, right? So to be able to uh, to be right back in it at the Super Bowl, and and he was over on the other side, on the bad guy's side, right? But I had some pretty cool company, and 
his daughter, Ella, really wanted to meet uh, Post Malone. So I said, man, I think this is a good time. You better get your butt over here at halftime. We'll get a picture for her. So, um, you know, she probably remembers when he and I were trying to fight each other on the racetrack. Probably not a big Clint fan, but uh, I think I won her back over with that. 16 years old, you know, pretty cool gift. Go to the Super Bowl. I mean, he did show her, you know, again, once again, how to lose being a 49ers fan. But we had a lot of fun. Well, 49ers have a pretty good history, so I'm not crying a river for them. But congrats to you, back-to-back titles for your squad. I mean, did anybody have you starstruck, any celebrities while you were at the game? You know, honestly, it's always that way with Super Bowl. I mean, your head's on a swill every time you turn around. Uh, you know, you, you see somebody that you, you either know or are seen on TV. Um, but for me, just, you know, Gwen invited us to the suite, and it's hard for me to contain myself at a Chiefs game. It is. It is. And then uh, Blake started handing me vodka drinks pretty early in the game, which I was, I knew better, right? And the game was kind of slow, honestly. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of mistakes, kind of sloppy ball. And and all of a sudden we get to that fourth quarter and boy, it lit up in a big (laughs) way. That's when I lost control and, and, uh, you know, it was hard to contain me from then on. Well, hey, what happens in Vegas, uh, you know, it stays there. So it's all good. (laughs) Hey, I can tell you what. From all the racing we've done there, um, you know, I was just at the F1 race. I, I've been in Vegas a lot, and I have never seen that town like that. I mean, it was unbelievable atmosphere. It was cool. But you know what? It gets me excited to turn the page. Every time I'm at that Super Bowl, I know that my team's probably going to win. I know that I'm going to have to celebrate. But the biggest thing is it tells me the Daytona 500 is right around the corner. And, um, you know, I'm ready for Mahomes to pass us the ball and, and let us shine. Looking forward to, uh, to seeing the season you know, start to, uh, to unfold and, and, and all the storylines that come of that. And, and the hardest thing for our season is that Super Bowl that we just saw is our first race. Um, these stars got to shine right out of the gate. They've had a little bit of a practice session with the clash at the Coliseum out in LA, but nonetheless, they got to be set on, on go here. And, and, uh, not a lot of practice time, not a lot of work that goes in, you know, on track work. A lot of communication, a lot of plans, a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, goal setting and things like that. But until you get out there and, and you're three wide and, and coming off for turn four for that magic push for the win, you know, all the rest of those plans and all that go by the wayside. You know, you talk about the NASCAR stars shining, and I want to talk about a little bit off the track, particularly with this Netflix series, yeah. Full Speed. It was the first time they've done that. What has been your reaction to NASCAR getting a series on Netflix, and how do you think it can really – you know, create more marketable stars and create new fans for NASCAR? Well, as you look across the board and when it's done other sports, I mean, you know, the quarterback series they did uh, with the NFL is awesome. Everybody's watched that and, and flocked to it. The F1, um, you know, series that they did made me a better fan, to be honest with you, of F1 than I was. And that's exactly what it's doing for NASCAR. It already is. Um, you know, you, you debut that and it comes out and, and I'm at the Super Bowl prime example. And people are asking me what this guy's like, what that guy's like, you know, is, is he really that way? And that's, what's cool about those series is you can't hide from it. You know, they're in your face so much with through so many, you know, um, uh, battles and, and adversity and things that you go through, especially in a playoff scenario, that pressure's on. You don't have time to think about emotion or, did I say too much there or whatever? That's all raw. That is uh, spur of the moment stuff. And, you know, when you're in a documentary that that long, for that lengthy of time, you're going to expose yourself. And, uh, 
you know, I'm proud that those guys all signed up to do that. That's not easy to do, allow that access. There's a lot of concern, a lot of worry, but nonetheless, that's what puts you on the map and, and it makes our sport better because of it. No, I love what you said and that it makes you a better fan. Even if you're a casual fan, it really gives you it gives you insights to become maybe something more. And if you are an avid, it really gives you the access that you want as that avid fan. So I totally agree with you on the, the what those series can do for everybody involved. The other thing that, you know, that it does is, you know, from my job and my perspective, I've always said you kind of walk a line of talking to three different people. You're, you're explaining things to an avid, avid race car fan that knows cars, knows the ins and outs of, of, you know, the engine, chassis, drivetrain, aero. They know all those components and what they mean. You're talking to a, a guy that, um, you know, maybe he's never seen the Daytona 500. And then you're talking to somebody that's kind of in between, maybe, maybe that guy's wife, you know. So trying to explain our sport it, from that perspective is a lot different than what you're going to see than that Netflix special covered. They don't know anything. They came in not knowing anything about NASCAR, and I think that gives kind of a fresh perspective and even teaches me a little bit. When I watch that, I'm like, you know what? That's something that we probably would have stayed off of because we probably thought it was too just generic, but that educates a new fan in a different way that, you know, tripped my trigger and, and got my brain thinking of, you know, different ways that we can deliver as well. You know, speaking of the Daytona 500, you're going to be down there. What is your favorite part of Speed Weeks each season? Rolling through that tunnel, uh, that magic racetrack, the high banks of Daytona. That's what we all worked our whole lives to get to, um, to get on that that racetrack and race on the very track that put our sport on the map. Raced uh, with a king, you know, won the, the 79 500 in front of a, a president, you know, and Reagan. And um, just so many magical moments for our sport dale earnhardt 98 win uh every crew member on every race team winding up on pit road and giving him a five showing respect to the man that that you know tries so many times and and had it won so many times you know um the, all those great memories and to be able to think man i'm you know now we're a part of that and, and we're part of telling that story whether you're in that car and i told kevin this you know kevin harvick he's going to be my booth mate uh this year and i told him I said, whether you're in that car or not, what, what's going to surprise you about being in the booth is how competitive it is. You still have bad races, you still have good races, still get frustrated when you miss a call or you saw something that, that you know, maybe came out of your mouth and you got to thinking about it on the way home. No different than you did that pass or getting past, um, you know, on the plane ride home. You're like, damn, I wish I'd have done it this way. I wish I'd have said that. Uh, you know, I missed that. Um, but then there's also... Those moments where, you know, you, you hit it. You just ride in a slot. You're coming off a turn four. The old ride's, you know, hanging out a little bit loose and, and hanging out on the right rear. And and uh, you made up the difference, you know, and, and you'll have that feeling as well. That's that's something that doesn't go away in that competitive nature, whether you're in that booth or in the call. I mean, you talked about Kevin joining the booth. What kind of rookie hazing you got planned? Buddy, he is over the years, obviously. So what, what people don't realize about Kevin and I is he was my first teammate. He was literally the first person in NASCAR um, that I met. So the better part of my career was alongside him as teammates at RCR for I think is like nine years and then back again for four years, the last four years of my career at Stuart Haas Racing. So I know Kevin, um, you know, and, and he knows me. And, and uh, I think that the combination of is what's going to be fun. Much like Jeff and I, just polar opposites. You know, Kevin is a, a very methodical, thought out, processed, um, you know, voice. And I'm exactly not that. 
uh, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to bounce and, and rib things off of him. Like I did Jeff. And I think that creates good banner. Do we always need to agree on everything? Hell no. I think it's fun. Um, you know, it's like that in-law you're watching a super bowl, you're watching a race and your in-laws rooting for Danny Hamlin. You're rooting for Kyle Larson or, or Kyle Bush, you know, and, and you guys are going to butt heads and disagree. Um, I think to an extent we need to do that in a booth. It keeps it engaging, keeps it entertaining and, and, uh, you know, the biggest thing for Kevin that he can do for me even is, is, you know, bring a fresh sense of what this new car is really doing, what these guys are feeling. He is literally fresh out of the car and across the board in any broadcast, he's the only one right now that can do that. I drove the car once. Um, that's the only experience I had in it. I mean, do I know when opportunities happen and where's the hole? Wait, man, there it was, there it went. Should have done this, should have done that. I, I I know that from a 20-year racing perspective or, or lifelong for that matter. Um, but Kevin, he can tell us when we get to the data, Daytona 500 what this manufacturer's plan is. And that's mm. what's different about the 500 than, than any other racetrack, mile and a half short track like Martinsville. The 500 is very um, goal-driven, very, very much an engine and a process like you would see a, a football team go through through the Super Bowl. Um, these guys know who their, their dancing partners is, whether that's a teammate, whether that's a, uh, another manufacturer. And when push comes to shove at the end of that race, you're going to need those guys. So that's why that process is put in place. And it is that way. And driven by that way by the manufacturer. You know, Fox's play-by-play announcer, Mike Joy, is going to be calling his 45th Daytona 500 on Sunday. He told my colleague, Adam Stern, for our magazine this week that the 1979 race, the one you referenced with a president in, atten- in attendance, was his most memorable one. You also talked about the 98 race, but which specifically has been your most memorable Daytona 500? Well, probably when Kevin Harvick won the Daytona 500 in 07 and I was in the infield upside down on fire, hanging from my belts, wondering, boy, that... That didn't work out exactly. <laughs> That's a memory, yeah. <laughs> then you get out, you look up, and your damn teammate won, selfishly won the Daytona 500. So, yeah, I remember that one. You always remember the bad ones. You never remember the good ones. Clint, last question. We'll get you out of here on this. What is the biggest storyline you're paying attention to this season? You know, if you had to make me pinpoint one, which there's so many, um, I think it's the return of Chase Elliott. And I say the return, this is a champion, right? I, I think that He's coming out with with a point to prove. He's got to uh, remind us all why he is a champion, why he is the most popular driver. And I think, you know, Chase Hill and his nine cars gonna gonna get back to matching his teammate Kyle Larson and uh, William Byron and winning these races. But I also think Danny Hamlin. You know, he's he's getting long in the tooth. That elusive championship, fifty plus wins, no championship. This has got to happen. He's running out of time, and I think. That is for sure has to be probably the number one looked at scenario is, is watching that 11 car and seeing that he can get his, his championship. Well, the Great American Race Sunday on Fox. I know a lot of people are going to be watching. Clint Boyer, Fox Sports Analyst, thank you for taking the time to chat with the Sports Media Podcast. Buddy, thank you. Cannot wait. Let's go, Daytona 500. Now it's time for Carp's Corner. My first item came from some news that broke while we were recording this podcast. ESPN and the college football playoff have a six-year, $7.8 billion extension that will keep the new 12-team tournament on the network through the 2031-2032 season. That's per The Athletic. 
The deal is contingent on CFP leaders finalizing details of what that expanded format is going to look like after the implosion of the Big 12. It's been a big year so far for media rights and just for ESPN alone, which already extended a deal with the NCAA on all championship events outside of March Madness. It just shows that ESPN sees the power of college sports and definitely in the long term. So you'll continue to see big college sports on ESPN for the long term. The next item is about the Waste Management Phoenix Open on Sunday. The PGA Tour event, annually one of the bigger draws on tour, it wasn't an elevated event this year though, saw a 35% drop in viewership for Sunday, poor weather, there was a playoff, but it also collided with the Super Bowl. Nick Taylor's playoff win over Charlie Hoffman drew around 2.4 million viewers on NBC. The event though ran deep into the second quarter of the Super Bowl, ending around 8 o'clock. Sunday's number is down big from 3.7 million viewers last year when Scotty Scheffler won the event on CBS with the finish time that ended before the Super Bowl kicked off. Also, something the PGA Tour probably knew this event was going to have a playoff as six of the last nine years for the event have ended in a playoff. My next point is around Caitlin Clark again. She was my up on last week's show, but this week I think a big winner is going to be Peacock they get to stream the game where Caitlin is likely to break the scoring record for women's college basketball. Going to be a big number for them. Could be perhaps their biggest basketball game on record. We continue to see the power that Iowa and Caitlin Clark have. Fox on Sunday, 1.8 million viewers for their, an Iowa-Nebraska game. Again, their best women's basketball game on record. Continuing to show the power of Caitlin Clark. Let's see what she can do for Peacock now. Another win for Peacock, you know, this winter after having a record streaming number for that wildcard game that they had. And my last piece, with the Super Bowl now over, my attention is turning to spring training. And there was an interesting piece in the New York Post from Joel Sherman listing the 50 most interesting people in baseball. Number one, no surprise, was Shohei Otani. But number two was also another fellow Japanese pitcher, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who is joining him on the Dodgers this year. And it all got me thinking about how to grow the media appeal of baseball players around the world and in this country. I love what Major League Baseball has done in recent years with the World Baseball Classic, but I also love that they've started at least to consider having Major League Baseball players participate in the Olympics. I think it would be incredibly strong for Major League Baseball to allow that. It would really show off these players to an international stage. You think about the image of an Otani carrying the Japanese flag into the opening ceremony. I think there is an opportunity there, and I'm very curious to see what owners do with potential participation of players in the 2028 Olympics. That's our show for this week. Before we go, a special shout-out to WNBA CMO Phil Cook and Speed Vision co-founder Robert Scanlon, who nailed the exact viewership number, 123.7 million viewers, for the Super Bowl in our annual prediction contest. That being, ended up being around 2.5 million more than what I thought it was going to get, so shout out to those guys. Overtime always helps the number. Also, thank you to our guest this week, Clint Boyer of Fox, and NASCAR President Steve Phelps. Also a big shout out to SBJ's Adam Stern and Tom Friend. And as always, thank you to my producers, Reggie Walker, A.C. Wyatt, and Chris Mason. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Sports Media Podcast. Tom, any predictions for whatever AC's trying to be typing here? <laughs> Hold on. We'll do that again. And if there's another direction you want to go, let's just go there. No, I usually do. <laughs> <laughs> I can roll with that. That's fine. Good luck. 
<laughs> you mean we can do that on podcast? Okay. Yeah, we can so just hold on and start over. We can. I know, right? Isn't this great? <laughs>